Welcome to episode 117 of Radio 815, the podcast dedicated to examining the work of writer-director J.J. Abrams, as well as his greater Bad Robot universe. I'm your host for this week. My name is Marcelo Nostroza, joined as always by my fellow co-host, Matt Crandall. And on today's edition of the show, we'll be discussing Fringe, Season 4, Episodes 8 and 9. First up in that batch is the episode entitled back to where you've never been. So, Matt, I have a simple favor to ask of you. Can you just help me get back home, please? Sounds easier than it would be if your home is in a different universe. But finally, finally, we are not doing a mystery of the week. We are doing the serialized storytelling that I have been dying for this season And in doing this, where we are getting the two universes together and we're doing a a story with both sides actively involved, we do two things that I have really been wanting. We are advancing the Peter needs to fix this crap storyline in a big way. We are getting Anna Torv and Seth Gable to be able to play their dual roles so they both get more to do. But also, anybody listening knows I've been complaining that John Noble has really been sidelined because our Walter is stuck in the lab and isn't that emotive. Walter is heavy in this episode and he really gets a lot to do. And I love that finally we are using the tools that we have that we know are the best things in the toolkit. This dual universe thing, the shapeshifter war, trying to restore Peter to where he is supposed to be. So... It took us almost eight episodes to really get the meat of the season going, and I get it, but I'm so happy that now, especially this feels like, because we're going to be talking about two episodes today, both of them are basically one continuous story that keeps going. This is the season three-esque, if you aren't on the train, get the fuck off stuff that I've been wanting from season four. I like you. And you, you, you know, in the past coming in the past couple episodes, I've been wondering when the hell we're going to get going here, because like you said, a large part of the season so far has been set up. And I really loved, like you said, how our universe and how the opposite universe are finally pulling their resources. And we are starting to focus more on the procedural aspects of this season. One thing that I really, really loved about this season is that we see our Lincoln Lee tried to help our Peter in the other universe to convince Walter Ned to help him get back to some sort of a semblance of a universe where he is remembered. And my favorite scene is when Lincoln tries to walk him into the DOD to go see Walter Ned the first time. I thought it was I thought it was excellent seeing our Lincoln try to play the hard ass version of himself. I really enjoyed that. I love when they give him the makeover to try and look like the other Lincoln. It's a really comical scene. And I think that I have said that I've been frustrated. Our Walter is reluctant to even acknowledge that Peter is his son. Now, the writers have been playing a long game because we've had that for three or four episodes where Walter just won't acknowledge Peter is his son, doesn't want to be involved. And it's all because they wanted to give Peter a reason to have to get Walter in it involved, which... Now that we see that as the grand plan makes sense. But in those episodes, it was so frustrating because it felt like something counterintuitive to the Walter Bishop we knew. But now knowing that 
because of this story mechanic of we want Peter to go to the other side to get Walternate involved, it makes a lot more sense. And as all of this is going down, they are realizing that the shapeshifters are in our universe, they're in the alternate universe, and for a lot of this, they think that Walternate is the one who is behind it. And every mention of this new breed of shapeshifter so far in Season 4, we keep assuming that Walternate and the other side are the ones behind it all. And in this episode, it becomes clear in a great scene where Walternate murders Brandon in a very satisfying scene that Walternate is actually not behind these shapeshifters. And he has been just as concerned that they are infiltrating that side's defenses and system. Marcelo, what are you thinking as we're really ramping up the shapeshifter war and now the guy that we thought was behind it is not and ends up by the end of this being on our team? I really loved the misdirect because like you said, the entire time we've been thinking that Walter Ned is behind these shapeshifters, but when him and Peter have that sort of tete-a-tete in the DoD and Brendan comes in and all throughout the scene, Walter Ned is building this gun. And obviously, as the audience, we think that he's going to use it on Peter. But when he uses it on Brendan, we find out that Walter Ned isn't so blinded, that blinded of an individual as we first thought. Because initially, we think that Walter Ned is out for his universe and no one else's. So I was really happy to discover that Walter Ned is sort of different. In ways, he's more similar to our Walter than 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 we initially first thought. And the reason that I say that is because before this remixed universe was introduced, Walter Nett uh, uh, was counted on to do everything that he could for his side. He was very selfish. So this is the first time that I've seen Walter Nett entertain the idea of working together with the with our universe in this instance. And I really, really enjoyed that. Yeah, it was really good, and I like how we get to that point. I jumped us ahead a little bit, but when, as you said, you know, our Lincoln goes over to pose as their Lincoln, and there's a fun moment where somebody stops him and Peter, and they're like, let me see your show me. And he's like, oh, uh, lost it. I was just apprehending this son of a bitch and uh, fell out. They're like, no problem. We can just do a handprint thing. They're like, okay, and they're like, you know, fingers crossed that this is going to work and they're not going to be outed. But then the real Lincoln Lee radios to that officer at the exact moment. And they're like, I'm looking right at you. He's like, that ain't me. And the shit pops off. So I really liked that, that fun moment where Peter, Peter was almost going to be like, I don't know him. I have no idea what's going on here and, and disown the guy, but he doesn't. And they get apprehended. And we've had a lot of fun getting to this point where, we had to go to the other side. It wasn't going to be as simple as just using the bridge because they didn't want this trip to be on the books. Everybody is doing this covertly to keep our fringe division kind of out of it as they go to do this. And as Peter and Lincoln get apprehended in the other universe, shit starts to go sideways as the guy who's driving the car gets a call and he tries to kill them. They obviously escape. Because we can't have Peter and any version of Lincoln at this point die. But I did like that in this lead up to us thinking that this must be Walternate, they really are laying it on thick so that we don't see who's actually behind it coming. So that the whole time we keep thinking, oh, it must be Walternate, so that when finally it is revealed 
who is actually behind a lot of this conspiracy and these shapeshifters, it is a surprise unless you look at the opening credits, which in the first two minutes, I'm like, Jared Harris is back. Okay. And then you're like, wait a minute. Jared Harris is back. Okay. This is who's the heavy. What are you thinking as we go through this great action scene and after Walter Walternate reveals that he's on our side, we do find out that David Robert Jones somehow has returned. I really lost my mind because like you, you 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 seem to be very, very observant when it comes to certain things within our fringe rewatch. And I did not read the opening sequence of actors who were going to be in this episode so when i saw jones be back i was like yes it's jones i lost my mind because i completely forgot that so i'm really excited to see how the dynamics of him being back in this remixed universe is going to play in the greater storyline so i really really like the potential dynamics that this sort of monkey wrench could pose into the rest of the storyline as we move forward here. So I can't wait to get, uh, I can't wait to get to the rest of that. So I love that after we get the Jones is back reveal and we know that somebody inside fringe division is acting funny. We do see that their agent Broyles is the one who places a call to this bad guy. So we cannot trust their Broyles, which is an interesting note, but the, oh my God, holy shit moment of the episode that is going to lead to a lot of things going forward is that in the Prime Universe, because Lincoln and Peter didn't return when they were supposed to, Olivia starts looking into where they could be and what could have happened. We see her, she wakes up in the theater. September is sitting there. September is not in a good way. (laughs) He's looking pretty rough. And he says, in a Doctor Strange ominous way, I have seen all of the futures and all of the paths and all of them involve your death. Marcelo, what are you thinking as we get this ominous vision of Olivia talking to September and he says, you're going to die, Olivia. Yeah, it sounds like it sounds like it sounds like somebody I know by the name of uh, Desmond, but, uh, you know. Who knows? I really I really jumped out of my pants in that moment. This episode had two moments where I went, holy shit, where the fuck has this quality of writing been this season on Fringe? One was when Jones was reeled. But the other one was the scene when we saw September sitting in the theater, basically having a bullet in his chest. And I was like, what in the holy fuck is going on here? September is here. Olivia has to die. Don't tell me J.H. Wyman's going to do something dumb again. So I'm like, wait a minute. Is J.H. Wyman going to kill Olivia and make, uh, you know, you know, and make Joshua Jackson the leader of the whole show moving forward? If they did that, that would have been, a, that, would, that would have pissed a lot of people off, but it would have been amazing. Um, so just by that one conversation, there's so many possibilities that could go down in the next couple of weeks as we continue to talk about the season. I am astounded by the quality of writing specifically in these two episodes. And I was wondering where the hell has this writing been the entire season? Yeah, it definitely, it feels like everything was kind of like a prologue to the story we really wanted to tell. And it was all just setting the pieces up on the board. And it unfortunately took seven episodes to set the game up. And now the game is afoot. All right, so with that being said, we move on to the final episode that we're going to talk about this week. The episode, is in, the episode is entitled Enemy of My Enemy. So, Matt, I have a question for you. 
Um, so do you want to, do you want to make a hole in the universe and kill a bunch of people for no apparent reason at all? There's always <laughs> gotta be some sort of deep seated reason, even if it doesn't make sense to us. I'm sure that they believe that there is something going on. So I do love that David Robert Jones, they, they bring him into custody and now both sides are going to be working together. They're like, okay, we're done with you, Peter and Lincoln. You guys can get the hell out of here. And then somebody mentions, like, we caught this guy and his name is this. And Peter's like, hold up. I know this guy. And so I love that Peter is able to step in and be like, we can't trust this guy. He's obviously the bad guy because in my universe, he did all this shit and he was trying to rip holes and bring things through. And I got him and sliced him in half. And I love that they remind us of his grisly death and finding out, obviously, that ripping a hole and the hole in the universe just shutting off and cutting things in half is going to be very important in the back half of this episode. So they're bringing us up to speed while explaining this. But I just love the Jared Harris is so good and villainous. And I just love the interplay in the interrogation scenes where it's got that kind of like Silence of the Lambs, Hannibal Lecter, Clarice vibe going, which is just so much fun as we're digging into, all right, why is Jones running these new shapeshifters and what is his plan? Is it the same plan as last time or is it something else? I like you. I really love those interrogation scenes and the thing and the things and the thing that made those interrogation scenes really enhance for us is because we know the things that Peter is referencing. So I really like the fact that Jones is ahead of everybody else in this episode for the most part. But the second that he steps into the interrogation room with Peter, we finally get to see him on his heels for the first time because Peter mentions his scars. And a couple of moments later, Peter mentions how you know, Peter sliced him in half when he closed the portal. Uh, uh, when Jones tried to catch out, when when Jones tried to cross over to uh, to this universe, but I really like how Jones really seems in control for most of this episode because I thought that for once he was working for himself, right? And we find out later on. I'm well. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna blow my. I'm not gonna blow our promotable load right now. But Jones is working for someone else. And I was really, really hoping that Jones was a lone wolf wanting to do horrible, horrible things by himself. And it wasn't connected to somebody else we've already seen previously. Act a little funky in the season. But with that being said, it's proper storytelling. Yeah, it works really well. And I do like, like I said, those interrogation scenes are great. And especially where... There's a moment where they get a call and in that moment, they almost realize like he wanted to be caught. He wanted to be in the MCU. And so I love that somebody calls and they say like, if you don't release Jones, we're going to show you what we can do. And here's a small taste. And we see uh, they really lay it on thick because we see a hospital and this woman leaves a device in the hospital and walks away. And a doctor comes up and goes, do we have any medicine for this young, innocent child? And then we see <laughs> the thing go off and a bunch of deaths happen. But I thought it was really funny that the only like medical line we get is a line about giving this small, innocent child uh, some medicine. And I was like, come on, we get it. We get that there's kids here, but it's a gruesome death. And so we know that they aren't fooling around and that Team Shapeshifter want their main guy back. And so Team Fringe realizes their hands are tied. Because if they have this biochemical weapon 
and they're threatening to deploy it other places. They can't hold on to Jones without there being mass casualties. And we are not at a point where it's worth holding on to him and letting all these innocent people die. So we get a moment where Lincoln thinks that he's a genius because he puts a tracking device into the cup of tea that David is drinking, which is great. But we remember from last episode that their Broyles is a snake who cannot be trusted. And so Broyles is the guy in charge of making sure that this tracking shit works properly. And I love the moment where they are watching as Jones is released and they've got him on the tracker and he's cool as a cucumber. He's just hanging out. And they're like, do you think he knows we're watching him? And they're like, yeah, obviously. Like we're the least subtle team of observers anyone has ever seen. We're all around him. And they're like, well, what's he going to do? And he just sits there, eats his lunch or whatever, and goes to a trash can, pulls out like a thermos and a wad of cash. And I love that his solution is free money. (laughs) What are you thinking? There's no such thing as a free lunch. And this guy's handing out $100 bills for free. What are you thinking as he has this brilliant plan to create a bunch of trackers and get away? And the solution is free cash. That scene is absolutely amazing because like you said, this fringe team from the alternate universe is the worst surveillance team on the planet because first of all, Lincoln and Alt Olivia are sitting right across the fucking street. So they're staring right at Jones. So I'm like, are you guys fucking kidding me? I understand that you're all versions of smarter versions of yourselves, but how daft do you have to be when surveilling a subject when surveilling a subject? Like how stupid do you have to be? They they are they are in they are in plain sight. It's so dumb. But Jones's solution, Dysfunkel, the tracking system that was given to him in his coffee, was genius. And it was so simple, right? Free money. Free money makes the world go around. So I fucking love that moment when when Jones really showed the ineptitism of people that are trying to do the right thing. It, it just boggled me how dumb their surveillance was. And the other thing that I that that I want to mention is that I'm really struggling to figure out what the alternate version of Broyles can gain by being a traitor. Because I because I can't I can't quite understand why he would allow why why he would align himself with Jones and that other puppeteer that we're gonna mention in a couple minutes. I don't understand what he has to directly gain from this. I don't get it because it's not, you know, you know, uh, since, since the remix version, he's, you know, you know, he's alive now because before he was dead. So was what is it that he, what is it that he has to gain? Is it possible that he, he doesn't have a wife or he doesn't have a kid? And if he does something, this other individual can do something else that will lead to him getting back something that he lost. So what could it possibly be? Yeah, it's definitely something on our minds. We know that there has been, when it is revealed who is the other person, there has been a chemistry in the early episodes between those two people on our side. So you wonder if there's something going on there. In the, Yeah, because as you said, in the remixed version of this, I don't know if Royals has that wife and son that were so instrumental in him helping out last time. Um, but... They they do pull another thing from the Dark Knight playbook, which is where they get these maps after Jones escapes. 
and they think they know where they are, and then it turns out, oh, we're in the wrong place. And so even if they make it there in time, you can't save Rachel because you're in the wrong place. But they they go, and Peter realizes as they're waiting for Jones to show up at this quarry, Peter double-checks the maps when Jones doesn't show, and he goes, oh, shit, wrong universe, my bad. And so they have to hop over to the Prime Universe to try and get Jones, because Jones has jumped universes. He does have that ability with whoever he's working with that he can rip those holes in the fabric and go between. So I love when now our our team shows up and in a big like finale thing, Olivia really thinks she can get Jones and she's chasing him and chasing him. Peter just says, you have to stop. Like you have to stop because if that universe closes, you can be cut in half and it's not worth it. And at the literal last second, they make it seem like Olivia either went through or maybe died. But then we cut back and we see that the whole front of her SUV is gone. And she stopped just in time because Peter told her this was the way that she had to do it. So I like this small moment because it's building a bridge between Olivia and Peter that hasn't really been there since Peter came back and this Olivia. So I really liked that. The other important stuff that's happening over in the prime timeline is that Elizabeth, who Peter did have a interaction with previous episode, crosses over to talk to Walter and says, Walter, the fuck are you doing? Why did Peter have to cross over and beg for my husband's help when you are here? You should help him. And even if you don't think he is your son and all this, what are you doing? And I love this moment where he is reluctant, believing that like this can't be done. And she says, you know, they talk about forgiveness and and the guilt and all of that. And she just says, like, you have to do this. You have to help this guy. And so I love that by the end of this, Walter is finally realizing him holding out and not helping is the wrong thing to do. And it took literally, you know, this other version of his wife to come and tell him, you have to move on from the things that you think went wrong 20 years ago, live in the now and make up for it. Now. I absolutely loved that moment of, of the two episodes that we've talked about this week, that moment where Elizabeth comes to our Walter and really basically physically slaps him into, you know, slaps some sense into him and says, you have to be the one that helps this version of Peter. I don't care what you went through. I know that I know it hurt. And I know that I know that both of us lost versions of our son. But you now have a chance to fix this. And I really love the tender and and, and care that she did that with because her Walter is upright. He is strong. He is, he is a person that has strong willpower, but our Walter is a person that is inevitably broken. So I really love how Elizabeth saw that she was talking to do different versions of her husband. And she was able to make the correct calculations when speaking to both of them. Yeah, it was terrific. And then to see there is a small moment where, Walter does say to Peter, like, I am going to help you. And it's finally that moment between, well, 
not father and son in this universe, but for us, father and son that we have been wanting for him to acknowledge, like, yeah, I'm going to help you get there. And that is great. But then we do get the final twist, which is that after Jones has escaped because Olivia stopped just in time, we see him on a thing saying phase one complete, like standing by what are the orders? And we see phase two about to initiate. She is ready or whatever. And they pan up and it's Nina Sharp, the snake that we can't trust. So Nina Sharp is somehow running these shapeshifters. She is running Jones. She is working with their broils. Never trust a redhead. What are you thinking as we get this moment where we find out that somehow Nina is behind all of the bad stuff going on in this remixed universe. I have no bloody clue what in the hell Nina could gain out of this. The only thing that I imagine that she could gain out of this is because she somehow wants to make her side vis-a-vis our side, the prime universe, remember what Peter did. But if you want to do that, there has to be other, there has to be another subtle way to do that you don't have to do all of that by playing this cloak and dagger bullshit game you don't have to do all of that by by making the tensions between our side and the all universe not you know you know you know you know fall apart so i'm like okay if you want to do that there has to be an easier way to do that then again my theory could go right out the window and she just could be a joker wanting to do something else you know you know create a completely new universe that neither of us has experienced. So I'm so I'm really at a loss for words because I don't know where her motivation is coming from. Because in some ways it makes sense. Because of her because of her connections with our Olivia in this remix universe, but in other ways it makes no sense at all. And we're still wondering the gassing and dosing of Olivia leading to somehow this phase 2 being ready to go. We still don't know even if they want to bring some memories back or have something come through in Olivia herself, we don't know to what end. Why? Why would that be necessary? What would that be the first domino in causing? So I think there's a lot of questions that we still have in terms of what game is actually being played. But I do love that finally, with these two episodes, shit is starting to happen. This is not some invisible man crying about the fact that he has to murder to be seen. We're actually getting into the stuff that we love about fringe. The strongest parts of season three were those two universes and having our cast of character have to be the doppelgangers. And now that everybody has to come to the table and work together to make sure that both universes aren't wiped off the map is awesome. All right, guys. So with that being said, that'll do it for this week's edition of Radio 815. Listen, if you guys want to reach out to us in any way possible, there are a couple ways to do that. First, you can just reach out to us on Twitter by using the hashtag Radio 815. You can reach out to us on our personal Twitter page. It's JJUniverse815. Or you can reach out to me personally. I'm also on Twitter. We're Twitter crazy over here. I'm at CrickFanatic88. But Matt, if the good folks want to reach out to you, what will be the best place for them to do that on? On Twitter at Matt Crandall. All right, guys. So until next time, as always, we'll talk back soon.
Radio 815 is a Balloonhead Productions presentation in association with Killer Newt Productions.